Today's episode of Conversations with Per is proudly brought to you by Tiger Per Chai, chef crafted, made from pure natural ingredients, designed to activate your power within. My very special guest today is one of the most interesting, stylish, funny, talented, engaging, and mesmerizing people you will ever meet. Broadcaster, presenter, designer, curator, cook, artist, author, collector. What? doesn't Claudia Chanshaw do. (laughs) Claudia's incredibly diverse career spans art, design, fashion, photography, travel, curating, speaking, hosting, television, and I'm sure there is much, 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 much more. Claudia is a true creative and a very quirky one at that. When Claudia speaks, I swoon. I can't wait to share this conversation with her with the delectable and incredibly beautiful Claudia Chanshaw. Hello, Claudia. Welcome. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Rolling. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you for taking your time and coming here to get, have, let me give you some tea. I think that's essential. <laughs> some tiger pearl. Oh my God, it smells beautiful. Very special. Yummy. Oh, God, are you going to tell me what's in that? <laughs> Lots of goodness. It's Mark's recipe. Is it? Yeah. How fantastic. I love it. Secret beautiful. recipe. Um, so many people are addicted to it. Um, Claudia, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for all the support that you've given Red Lantern over the years. Oh, look, it, it's not terribly difficult. I mean, you know, Dynamic Duro, the best food in Sydney. Thank you so much. The last right time away. I saw you here was... Um, Mother's Day lunch with Mama and your brothers. That's right. And I'm thinking we might repeat that experience because my eldest brother keeps saying, why can't we go back there? So, okay, we'll go back. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good day. Uh, my parents were here as well. Claudia, I want to start the conversation from the beginning. I really think it's important to share your story mm-hmm. from the beginning. And it's um, this incredible sense of uh, nostalgia as I'm surrounded by photos of my mum and dad. Um, tell us, what was your life like growing up? Um, it was interesting because um, I'm half Chinese and half Scottish and identify very greatly with the Chinese side because our our dad was um, a rather irresponsible gentleman um, who left my mum with uh, five children to raise. So our world as kids revolved around our mum. How old were you? Um, I was five when he left and I'm the youngest. Um, There were five of us but our younger brother passed away so then there were were four. And uh, so mum's on her own and she's got to raise all of us so she had three jobs to raise us and so while we look back and we didn't really realize we were different to other kids except that we didn't have holidays other kids would go off on holidays during school holidays and we never went anywhere we just looked after each other because mum was at work yes so that's the only time we really realized that hey um you know maybe this is not really the situation that most of our friends are used to. What did mum do for work at the time? So she had three jobs. She um, was knitting at night for the David Jones Baby Boutique because they used to have beautiful hand-knitted baby clothes in those days, Um, knitting for another boutique and then also working during the day for a fabric uh, salon where she it was gorgeous fabrics for um, home dressmakers and and, uh, designers and after a while, they realised that she was pretty handy with a sketch. And they said, well, why don't you design the dresses? Mm. And the people will buy the fabric from us. So she created a de- design service. And, and where, then, where then did, she went from there. Where did mum get her talent from? Well, it's interesting because if things filter through the family. My 
grandmother, my Chinese grandma, who was born in, in Castle Row Street, um, went to the very early East Sydney Tech. Okay. So, you know, in the 1920s, she's there sewing and designing and doing millinery and corsetry, as you do. So it filters down. And Grandma had a children's wear boutique. And uh, my mum used to go into the children's wear boutique in Surrey Hills um, and sit under the stairs and make little flowers and things. So it, it, it went through the family. Yeah. So um, growing up, did your mum share with you the difficulties that she that's a lot for three jobs supporting five children yeah. was she very open with the reality of um, the situation with you guys at the time yes yeah, she was did she protect you from it she was. no she she was so we we were very aware of the situation because yes. it was not an easy um early childhood and um she used to bring her work home so she would uh, on the dining room table she'd be hand beating and my mm. eldest brother would get up and be three in the morning and say mum go to bed go to yeah. bed so we were very aware of of her struggles um also because the toys that we had when we were little were mainly knitted toys so that everything was created by hand i mean wow so i had a so you'd like have like soft knitted soft toys basically all soft toys yeah. so we had i had non-conformist bear who was a, a blue space dyed mohair. I said, what's, what's the name of your bear, Claudia? Nonconformist. Yes. Um, and then she did these great dolls called Long Tall Sally and they were about this long. Their legs were that long. So um, she, and they had that. You know, fantastic hairdos, a bit like Princess Leia hairdos. Yeah. Um, she had a, a poodle that had pink knickers on underneath the little black dress. So, you know, these beautiful things that she created. So we treasured those. My brothers had little bear hand puppets. Yeah. So she was the woman who knitted on the train from Asheville every morning. That's so amazing. I grew up in an environment where we had to be very self-sufficient. My parents worked from before sunrise, came back at, at night time. So we all learned how to look after ourselves, incredibly self-sufficient. Um, you know, my brother, my brother Lewis would uh, sew and he'd create um, like lounge sets, mm. you know, with and they would stuff the cushions and the yep. sewing and all of that. So we got yep. really creative because we were bored. It was to relieve our boredom. Yeah. Um, thinking back, I mean, as a collective or, or as an individual, what were some of the things that you learned or what were some of the, the things that built your character that you can look back and say, ah, that's where I got it from now? Um, when mum was working, she'd always ring us and say, okay, kids, put the rice on because you know get get dinner started and then she'd come down home and 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 do the rest of the meal we were we were always washed up we made our own beds we yes. we cleaned when she, on when she worked on saturdays we cleaned the kitchen we cleaned the floors did the bathroom so it was just what she did there was no question that's why when we our friends at school would say well you know no my mum makes the beds my mum does all the washing I said, really what's wrong with you <laughs> it's not that hard no it's not that hard and um we weren't bored um we spent a lot of time watching tv yeah because <laughs> uh, being latchkey children so you come home and you're watching you know or in in the school holidays you're watching the phantom agents and samurai and things like that and thunderbirds yes. and you come home we're watching i dream of genie and all those shows that we grew up with mm. and so television becomes the babysitter but this part of us that you know when my brothers and i are sitting with our mum here in red latin having our mother's day we're still doing the one-liners out of TV shows that we grew up with, or Marx Brothers. We grew up with Marx Brothers too. So um, we, we were always occupied by, you know, looking after the house, looking after each other, because mm -hmm. um, my, my siblings were older than me, so they, they watched over me. Yeah. They'd take me to the movies in town. They were both tray boys at Hoyt's, you know, yeah. selling the sweets. 
And um, so they how handy. <laughs> oh, very very handy. They'd say, you know, come in during intermission. So I'd be sitting there watching the Towering Inferno for the forty third time. So um, you know, you had that that lovely. They looked after me. That's so good. And so, um, Claudia, with your sense of style and fashion, was it something that as a little girl you're like, mum, 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 teach me, teach me? Or did mum say, Claudia, I'm going to teach you something now? Or how, how did that happen? Uh, organically? Um, was it a thirst for you? It was, I think it was organic. I do remember when I was five I had a black velvet dress with uh, poodles on it and um, it was she's five years old and she's wearing black yes <laughs> um and i remember we ruined the dress because um my one of my brothers um you remember potatoes used to be just old or new the you know, potatoes they were, yeah <laughs> they were just dirty or, yes. or clean and um i've got the dress and i'm i'm, I'm catching old dirty potatoes in the dress because my brother's going bing bing and lobbing potatoes at me i catch that catch that so ruined the dress um I never wore black velvet again after that. Um, but as I got older, Mum started her own label in 1972 and uh, was in the Hilton Hotel. And I used to go into the shop after school, fall asleep in the fitting room, um, talk to clients. So can I rewind a little bit? How mm. does a <laughs> single mother mm. get a label at the Hilton <laughs> in 1972? <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's, let's rewind the clock. People have issue, have a problem doing that now. How did, yeah, how did that all yeah. occur in that time? Um, very determined woman. Yes. Uh, so she worked for different fashion houses, mm. and she was making them a lot of money because we always say that you know my mother and my my brother who's next to me in age are sharks. They they can sell. Yeah. Um, I sell too. But, yeah. But my approach is a little bit different. Mm. And um, was that so, something your mother taught you? Yeah, well, yes, yes, okay, now, and also now, now watching, yeah, making sense. <laughs> watching you, you just, you know, you become a salesperson even if you don't really mean to. Um, so she decided that she's making a lot of money for other people and she thought, I can do this. Yeah. I design, even though she didn't go to design school, she, she trained as a musician. She was a pianist. Wow. Um, wow. But, you know, you, you can't really make money being a concert pianist if you're not top, top echelon. Um, so she, and she always relied on her hands from the very beginning. So she can do all of this herself. So she decides she's going to open a business. The Hilton Hotel has opened and all the fat, it was one of the early international hotels in Sydney. Mm. You know, we had the Wentworth and the Boulevard, I think, and the Hilton, that was about it. And so she thought, I can do this. I'm going to go and get a loan to start a business and I'm going to design my own garments with my, my label. So she goes to the Wales Bank, which is uh, Wales House still, down in Pitt Street, and she goes to see the bank manager, Mr Woodhouse. And she goes into his office and says, Mr Woodhouse, I'm Vivian. I'm uh, coming for a loan today to start a business. And he said, well, tell me about it. And so she starts talking about her vision, what she wants to do. She wants to do handmade garments. Yeah. This is a 1970 Vivian Chanshaw garment. So good. And um, he, she says, well, tell me about your situation. Well, I'm alone raising my, my children. And he said, well, you have four liabilities. And she's getting a bit... The oh, children are liabilities. Yeah, the children are the liabilities. <laughs> okay. 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 And he said, so I'm really sorry. You need a male guarantor. And she's bristling. Wow. Wow. I don't have a male guarantor for you. Yeah. I've bought you all of my references. Yes. Which are excellent. Can't you see that I'm a determined, hardworking person? I'll make this happen. 
And he said, look, I'm really sorry, Mrs. Shaw. I can't give you the loan. Okay. So she stands up and she says, well, if that's your answer, we have nothing else to discuss. And she storms out and, and Westpac Wales House is really, really long. It's, it's a very, very long walk. So she's walking down yeah. and she says she remembers it was a really sunny day and she's blinking back the tears. I'm not going to cry. I'm not yeah. going to cry. Oh, and Mr. Her. Woodhouse comes running after her. Mrs. Shaw, come back in. She said, no, no. If that's your, your answer, we have nothing to discuss. He said, come in. So he brought her in, calmed her down, gave her a cup of tea. Not as nice as her tea, <laughs> but gave her a cup of tea. And, okay, tell me what you want to do. And at the end of that day, she had her loan. Yay! <laughs> I love that story. That story is going to make me cry. Oh, and it's really cute because fast-forwarding um, to a so 40-year retrospective I did for Vivian, um, and uh, one of the journalists in one of the papers had said, you know, how'd she get started? And she told the story about Mr. Woodhouse. We'd got this big retrospective, 111 garments on show from wow. the 70s through to the 2000s. And this woman comes in, she says, are you Claudia? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, I'm so-and-so, so-and-so. Hello. I read the story about your mother in the paper today. I said, oh, yes. Mr. Woodhouse was my father. <gasps> And he'd since passed away. Oh, and she, wow. the family read the, the article and they're all passing away going, we're so proud because this oh, man you, gave this woman a start in business. Wow. Yeah. What so. do you think it was? What do you think it was that made him stop her? Oh, because she, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still surprised and taken aback, but possibly my ignorance that in 1972 you still needed to have a male guarantor. Male guarantor. Yep. Yep. Okay, and what do you think it was? What do you think it was? You know, she's, she's strutting down that aisle going, I'm done, you know, I'm not coming. What do you think that was? I think he could see that she was determined. She was going to make this happen. She wasn't mucking around. It wasn't, I think I'll open a frock shop. Yeah. This was a career. This was a business. This was a foundation to raise her children, mm. something solid, and she was going to do it, and she did. Yeah. That is so good. Um how old is your mother now? 88. 88. How is she? She's good. She's still still fantastic. She has arthritis in her hands now. So um, she was knitting every day still. Um, and during COVID, she was creating these incredible um, hand-knitted leaves that she turned into these giant wall pieces. And they were all hand appliqued, like about that wide and super long. Yeah. And they represented... Um, different journeys through life, all done with applique leaves. So, you know, she's still super, super creative. Yeah. But back to your question about how do you, as a kid, you know, you're surrounded by this, you can accept or reject. You don't yes, have to go right. into the business. Yeah. Um, when I used to come into the shop after school, fall asleep in the fitting room, do your homework in the fitting room, um, go through the lay-bys, oh, Mrs. So-and-so hasn't picked up a lay-by, Mrs. So-and-so. I'm 11, you <laughs> need to pick up your lay-by. So you, you're, you're brought up in that environment and it was never forced upon me. Um, and in terms of personal... Life skills, man, life oh, skills. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and mum always used to say to me, um, you know, if, when we had wholesale accounts because she retailed, then she wholesaled, then we exported. Okay. Um, and she'd say to me, well, you know, you're looking after this, so... Never be afraid to make the unpopular decision. Get on the phone and tell them to pay that bill. Yeah. And it was, I don't want to get on the phone, I want to be the nice person. <laughs> yeah, nobody's, not, not everybody's going to like you, Claudia. So, no. you know, sometimes you've got to be the bad guy. I don't want to be the bad guy. Um, 
good life lessons. Yeah, what's well, uh, uh, two of the things that I teach to my students and my clients is um, to to have the courage to be disliked. That's it, and also to be okay that they're not okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, exporting. Tell me about that. How old were you when 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 the export? What, what, Tell me about that. Okay. <laughs> Export business, what year, how old were you, how did that come about? Okay, so we are now, Vivian decides she's going to export to, the, first of all, to explain the, the product. Yes. Because I think that's important. Yes. So it's not just frocks. So we start off with garments in, in fabric, jerseys, silks. Um, and being under the Hilton, all the cabaret stars and actors are staying in the Hilton when they come to Australia. So, you know... Um, Margot Hemingway, yes, Margot yes, Hemingway. Yes. Um, she was the face of Babe for Fabergé fragrance yes. and, and body products. And uh, so Margot Hemingway comes down and says, oh, my God, I love this. And so Vivian does a whole wardrobe for Margot Hemingway. Um, Bo Derek is promoting the film uh, 10. And, Ten you know, so um, Roberta Flack is singing upstairs in, in the Hilton cabarets. Um, so all these wonderful people are coming down and clients are coming in saying, there's nothing like this anywhere. Mm. You should be exporting. Yeah, easy. Just go export. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> right, we can do that. So um, Vivian switched from fabric garments into handloom knitwear. Wow. And that the knitwear is what she's she's remembered for today. Yeah. And when I say handloomed, it's like the knitting machine, knitting loom like this where row by row you're knitting a garment into shape. Nothing's cut and sewn. It's all shaped. So she builds a wonderful knitwear label, remembering that she's knitted all of our toys. Yeah. And so she starts with hand knitting and then does hand so, looming. And um, that's when the clients are saying, there is nothing like this. And there was, and still is, nothing like it. And so um, she says, right, we're going to conquer America. Okay, how are we going to do that? I love, so, I'm loving this story. She's, <laughs> she's, as a serial <laughs> entrepreneur, I'm like, wait a minute, how does that happen? Yeah, you know, just... <laughs> You just decide, yes, you're going to conquer America. So um, I have done my first year of college at Sydney College of the Arts. I'm about to go into second year. And all through uh, college holidays, which are quite long, as you know, um, you know, working in the business, um, but, but going in Thursday nights since I was 15 um, and Saturday mornings. Yeah, so just we, I was just always a part of it. And so I'm going to America. Well, I'm coming with you. So, okay, so go to Sydney College of the Arts and saying, I'm just popping overseas for a while, I'll be back. Yes. No, 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 you need to defer for a year. I don't need to defer, I'm doing real life stuff. Yeah. No, 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 you need to defer a year. All right. So we go to America, start on the West Coast and finish on the East. So we go San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, up to Toronto, and then finishing in New York because, you know, we'd have our act together by then. Mother and daughter. Mother and daughter. Suitcases. And so, suitcases. Looking shit hot. Yeah, overdressed, <laughs> overdressed to hell. And um, we, before we left, we got in touch with Austrade. Now, Austrade in, this is 1982, I think. Okay. About 1982. Um, and Austrade at this stage doesn't have a big track record with exporting fashion, mm. primary products and things like that, but not necessarily fashion. So they said, look, go to Austrade in each city and speak to the trade officers and they'll be able to help you. They don't really know fashion. So some of the trade officers were really, really helpful and others didn't have a clue. Um, some would carry your bags to an appointment for you. Others would say, there's the phone, you can use the office. Yeah, right. So, you know, mixed um, 
mixed help. But um, we thought, well, what we do is not now understanding having done export marketing courses about research your market, understand your market share was no, 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 doesn't matter. (laughs) So you go and you do the stakeout. So you go. The stakeout. The stakeout. So (laughs) no samples, no nothing, just walking around going, hmm, that looks like us. High end, different, ready to take a risk. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. And, and, you know, good prices because we're handmade product. And so do the stakeout, find the shops that look right, then return to scene of the crime with bags and portfolio. Vivian would be outside with our sample bags. I'd have the portfolio overdressed to the nines <laughs> and just walk into the shop and yes, hang around. Yes. <laughs> Flick through the racks, hang around until I hear, Oh my God, I love what you're wearing. It's darling. Outcomes of portfolio. Hi, we're from Australia. We just happen to be in town. Mum, come in. Yes. She's looking through the window like this. So she drags the bags in. And then in those days also owner operated stores. Yeah, yeah. Without central buying offices, yeah. individual boutiques. It's quite They're decision now. makers. Yeah, yeah. Decision makers are there. Yeah. Because the, the clients are their clients. They've got that connection. So all the clothes come out. We're trying things on, they're trying things on, writing orders. And we do this in every city, including yes. New York. And at the end of the night, we'd, come, we'd be sitting on the hotel room bed going, can you believe the business we were writing? <laughs> um, we're a little naive too because in, um, in Los Angeles, me watching TV all the time and being in love with Humphrey Bogart and films from the 1940s, yeah. I want to be staying in Hollywood. Well... We stayed in Hollywood at the, um, I think it was called the Hollywood Hotel. Okay. Lots of cars driving in and out all night and lots of high heels going upstairs, up and down the stairs all night. We've got suitcases against the door ringing Australia going, we're scared. Um, and Austrade, um, we speak to the next day and they said, what are you doing in Hollywood? I'm moving you up to the ambassador yeah. on Wilshire Boulevard. Get out of there. Amazing. So we learned as we went along. So good. I love your storytelling Proess, Claudia, it got me so engaged and and enraptured. That your sense of nostalgia as you're telling these stories, and just this sense of um, just snatching this memory and reclaiming that memory and taking that memory as as a storyteller myself, I'm finding this whole experience with you incredibly delicious. <laughs> so thank you, thank you. I wanted to ask you also um, when I'm listening to these stories, there's this great sense of no fear. Mm. There's no fear. It's it's fearless. When you're going about doing this, you said a bit of um, naivety. Um, I think also there's that determination to say, well, what is what is there to fear? What is what is there to lose? What is there to fear? And I love that mother and daughter are going together to do that. Absolutely. The, there's a nice word, chutzpah. 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 So we had a lot of chutzpah. Yeah. And tell, tell me the word chutzpah. I don't know it. Chutzpah is a Yiddish word. It means um, uh, it's like having guts yeah balls yeah um a little you know taking a risk yeah having the having the guts to to try it so good yeah and and and, um and it's c-h-u-t c-h-u-t-z-p-a-h i think it is i love that i love that i think that's the spelling and and the other thing is um rejection not everybody will love you And, you know, I'm on Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles, draped. (laughs) Ma'am, would you mind 
<laughs> oh, okay, I'll leave. <laughs> like, go. So, you know, not everybody loves you. No fear. No. So you're not only a collector of memories, Claudia, you're a collector, mm. a collector. Um, I read somewhere that you said that there are two people in this world, collectors and non-collectors. <laughs> Tell me more about that because surely there are different types of collectors as well. Oh, there are, there are. So um, I figure if you've got two or something, that's just a pair. If you've got three and it starts growing, then you're a collector. Yeah. And there are obsessive collectors. There are um, collectors of memories. There are collectors of ephemera, letters and things from their family life. Um, and there are the obsessives yes. who have a thousand perfume bottles, mm. 1,700 plucked de musole, the little caps on the top of the champagne bottles, um, 14 Rolls Royces, you know, so... so Which one are you? <laughs> um, I was obsessive, but now space dictates that I pull my head in. Um, okay. My first collection was everything to do with Humphrey Bogart. Right. Um, <laughs> watching movies, hanging, hanging around, watching movies, watching too what, much what, TV. What age were you when you were first besotted with Humphrey? Eleven. Okay, 11. the most impressionable age. <laughs> yeah, yes. So 11 years old, my eldest brother has a Humphrey Bogart book and he, he, he'd taken me to a few Humphrey Bogart festivals. Mm. And I love this man. I thought yeah, he was Tell me why. Um, Anti-hero. Yeah. Not classically handsome. Um, some people would say he was ugly. I, I don't think he was ugly at all. I think he was in the 30s and 40s. I think he was quite dishy. Mm. Um, just a sense of he was just a powerful character he was himself he was always himself um and i i responded to that very much he wasn't he wasn't a pretty boy um mm. and i i love crime absolutely love crime detective movies gangsters love that whole genre yeah. so he was my man and I was, I was collecting everything from books lobby cards um this is before videos or or before we could take them home ourselves and um, when I was old enough, about 15, I'd go to the Bogart festivals because they'd have usually a double feature. And I'd sit in the front row of a tape recorder recording all the dialogue. And then Oh, I'd, I love that because you'd have... Because <laughs> I, I don't have a video because so, before videos, I've got, got my tape recorder. And then I'd come home and replay all the dialogue and I'd, I'd lock myself in the bathroom. And... Um, my brother would be banging on the door going, get out of the bathroom. One bathroom, all these kids. And I'd say, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm up to the airport scene from Casablanca. Give me 10 minutes. And so, so I good. would be absorbing all of this. Yeah. Um, so How many times do you reckon you've listened to that recording? Oh, God. I can't even tell you. And how many times now that I'm grown up and have my own copy of it as a DVD? <laughs> Countless. So Just good. So you were part. an obsessive collector. Yes. Yes. And then, space has... Uh, uh, so you're not a um, this declutter minimalist person. No, 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 no. Neither no, no, have I. No, no, no. What's what's that about? I no. love having my shit everywhere. Absolutely, <laughs> and it's all got to be out. The maximalist. It's it's got it's got to be out it because does. that's what I love. You know, it does. I, I I I love going into someone's home that is you know one piece of mid-century furniture, one stunning artwork. But what about the other stuff? I've got lots of stuff. Yep. Every books, wall magazine in our house. Oh, the house with no books? I don't Collect understand yeah, that. No, I don't what understand that? that either. <laughs> so good. And what do you think the mindset, the thinking is behind the different types of collectors? Mm. Okay. I now collect tin toys and robots. 
mostly because they remind me of TV. So this is the nostalgic collector. Yeah. So it's the Batmobile in mm. tin. Reclaiming memories. That's it. Wind up. Um, the bubble-headed booby who uh, is from Lost in Space. Warning, warning, yes. danger, danger. Yes. Uh, Robbie the robot from Watching Forbidden Planet. So all this robot thing grows from Lost in, Lost in Space. So now there's glass cabinets lit full of robots. Um, Japanese, 1950s, you know, some, some good stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's the nostalgic collector who uh, collects based on memories. Um, I had one of those when I was a kid. I don't have it anymore. Mm? I always wanted one of those when I was a kid. I'm going to get one of those now because yeah. I can afford it yeah. and I'm not a kid anymore. So that, that's the nostalgic one. Um, then you've got um, collectors who their interest grows out of work stuff. You know, maybe they, they, they're in IT and they had Nintendo games when they were kids or whatever and they, they, their fascination is with Palm Pilots and games and, and computer stuff. Um, Record collectors, that's usually because you grew up with those sounds, those songs, um, yeah. or you're obsessed with one particular artist yeah. and it's not enough for you to listen to their songs, but you want to own the piece of clothing that they discarded at a concert <laughs> in 1972 in Chicago or something. Yeah, so it invokes and evokes a memory and it does. a feeling. It does. Yeah. And um, others, uh, I, I was speaking with a woman recently who'd only recently come to collecting. She's in her 70s. And um, she started collecting, you know, in about 2000, yeah. just because, oh, I like that, and I like that, I like that too. And then now, today, we can research and we can work out, uh, we can buy on eBay, we can shop in our pyjamas from our lounge rooms. Yeah. So it's made collecting an even bigger um, hobby, I think. You know, because yes. there are the diehards will only do the, the antique stores or only do the, the car boot sales or whatever. But um, with the internet now, we've got communities, and that can make your collecting even crazier. Yeah. When I started with eBay, first I didn't trust it. And I thought, no, 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 I need to touch and feel. Does it work? Yeah. Um, if I'm going to an antique store or a, a, some sort of sale, I take batteries with me if they're battery-operated toys, make sure they work. Yeah. Because, you know, on eBay, you're taking oh, their prepare, word for it. Prepare. Yeah. Yep. So I used to trust eBay, but you get to know the good sellers. I love that when um, your passion then also becomes your, your work, your, your, your side project. And then there was the television show, all of that yes. collectibles. Yeah. Can you speak, uh, what was your experience? How long were you doing that for? And your new project now. Okay. So always being a collector, sometimes, you know, the press picks it up and there's an article with you. It was one article, me, me and my shoe collection because I have quite a lot of shoes. How many? How many pairs? Oh, I don't know. I've never actually counted them, but there were hundreds. Okay. And um, I get that from my mother because yeah. we there was an article on her in her shoe collection. She's sitting on a staircase at her place with all these shoes behind her. And then I found a photograph of her as a child surrounded by all of her shoes. So she likes shoes too. Um, so I was featured in a couple of articles about the tin toy collection. And, um, you know, they're, they're ducks that lay eggs or chickens that lay eggs, rather, um, and little little boys on bicycles and things like that in addition to the robots. Um, generally, they do something. You wind them up and they, they're very amusing. Or a girl, an acrobatic girl who, who does movements and every time it's different. Um, so the ABC contacted me and said, would I like to be a guest on the program Collectors yeah. with my toy collection? I thought, oh, that'd be nice. So I'm a guest on the program and... Um, showing everybody my, my goodies. And then about 
a couple of months later, I got a call from the ABC saying, look, our female presenter is leaving the show, um, Nicole Warren, and she wants to spend more time with her family. So would you come down for an audition? And I thought, ooh, okay, I'll go down for an audition. So I went for an audition. They said, bring something you can talk about mm. to, so that, you know, you can be effusive about an object. And I thought, well, I won't bring a toy because I've done my toy thing. They saw that. So I brought the Maltese Falcon which okay. is a replica, this tall plaster, of the Maltese Falcon from Humphrey Bogart's 1941 film of the same name, which I bought in San Francisco the first year I went exporting, and because um, that's where the film is set. And so I took my Maltese Falcon along, and they're asking me about it, saying, well, blah, 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 and tell them the story of the Maltese Falcon. And two days later, I get the call saying I've got the job. Of course you did, Claudia. <laughs> of course you did. So I was um, on the panel um, with... Um, um, Gordon and Adrian and Andy Muirhead was the host and uh, so I was one of the panellists and so that was working on Collectors yes. on the ABC which was wonderful. I did that for about two years mm -hmm. um, before the show was, was uh, shut down and um, a gap. Oh and then I was invited to write a book on collecting um, called Collector Mania from Objects of Desire to Magnificent Obsession and it was about Brilliant. my story mm -hmm. but other people's stories. It could be about cameos or, or um, Bakelite radios, or vintage fashion. Yes. Um, so got to write a book, which was a lovely thrill because it was just random. Would you like to write a book on collecting? Sure, I can do that. Yes. So um, <laughs> now the new project is Antiques Down Under, and that's an independent production um, on Nine Gem. Will be on later in the year, probably September through December. And uh, it's um, Gregory Bickford, who is an antiques dealer, approached me and said, you know, do you want to come and work on this play, uh, on play, work, play with me on this project? Um, and being an independent project, it took a long time to get up because you haven't got, you know, big TV backing or anything like that. And so we got it up and uh, the first season was last year and now we're filming season two. Are you enjoying it? I love it. Good. I it love take, it. How much time does it take from you? Because you've got you're 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 off lecturing tomorrow. Yeah. Are you still doing radio as well? Yes, I still do radio. Radio <laughs> uh, and uh, curating. I love the um, installation, the the rat lantern installation. Oh yes, that was beautiful. And uh, one of those so rats lives beautiful. in my lounge room. <laughs> wow. He's three meters high, gold. He has a key in his back. Yeah. And a Chinese symbol for good luck on the front that rotates. Yeah. Um, and that was for the an installation for the city of Sydney for the Where year of the Where are the other rat. rats? Um, I think they're scattered around a storage space. They're very special. They are. They're, they're I really pretty, love them. Pretty fabulous. Yeah. And and that was a, a robot reference too. Yes. It had to be a mechanical rat because the year of the rat, um, it was an expression of interest from the city of Sydney to, to create the hero installation for the year of the rat. Yeah. And um, looking at rats, they're... They're busy, they're industrious, always moving around. They're like little wind-up toys. Yeah. So that's why he was a robot rat. Yeah. So good. Congratulations with that. I was, um, it was one of those things that moved me when I, when I saw it. It <laughs> was so you. beautiful, really so beautiful. And I saw a photo of you looking up at these <laughs> giant rats. So lovely. So curator, broadcaster, television presenter, um, lecturer, teacher, author, fashionista. Which one do you love the most, Claudia? Oh, that's like who's saying if, who's your favourite child? Um, <laughs> I love it all. I love it all. And I love that life has just become this wonderful mix. And, and it's interesting because everything you learn from before 
filters back into what you do today. Yeah. How to deal with people, um, you know, selling. Yeah. It's all, we're all selling something, mm. selling stories. Yeah. So it, it all it all goes back to where you started. I find it so incredibly inspiring that you've built such a vibrant ecosystem. <laughs> Thank you. Playing on all your strengths and all your creations. Does Stuart also collect? Stuart, your husband, also collect? He sure does. What does he collect? Okay, so I met, um, <laughs> he's a, a placomusophile, which is uh, he collects the tops of the champagne bottles, the caps, mm. and they're called, called, they're called the plaque de mousselet. So the, it's a plaque. Um, the mousselet on a champagne bottle is the muzzle mousselet. Yeah. So it's the, the, the metal cage. Yeah. And so this is, these are the, the caps. And the criteria is he must have drunk every single bottle. Yep. There are hundreds <laughs> yep. in his collection. Um, he collects fossils. Yes. Um, he's, he's, I call him Nature Boy. He, um, many years ago, he was the, um, um, working with the Australian Museum on their, their marketing and PR. And um, so he knows about fossils and, and things that came before and natural history. Um, so he has a big fossil collection, a huge book collection. Um, and of course, our wine cellar. Mm. He collects wine. <laughs> I, um, I'm very fond of Stuart. I, I remember, I think this would have been over 10 years ago. The first time I met him, we, I, it was just one of those things that I was invited to. I'm like, yeah, why not? It was the Court of Master Sommelier. They, they'd come to Australia for the first time. And I think they only invited 100 people to attend this Court of Master Sommeliers. And it, it was a three-day course. And by the end of it, if you passed, you then went to do the next stage somewhere in, in London. And um, I was in the same group as he. And he's like, what are you doing here? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just invited. What are you? He goes, what are you doing here? He goes, checking it out. <laughs> so we kind of hung out for a little while. And... I, I am certainly not trained anywhere near the other sommeliers that were there. You know, they were paid by the big restaurants and yeah. the big conglomerates. And here I am just from Little Red Lantern just checking it out. And um, so, yeah, we, and by the end we kind of do a, 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 a little exam, little tasting, little test, see how you go. And I, I'm certain that I'm going to fail because I'm just no wind. But I'm having fun anyway. So did everything, tasted. And for some reason, for some reason, they called my name out first and I passed. Yay. And I did this happy dance. <laughs> this happy dance. And um, oh. it was a really beautiful three days hanging out with Stuart. I'm very, very fond of him. And he's been such an amazing support for Red Lantern as well. Oh, he's a he's a terrific man. Yeah, and and that was a that was the right merging of of people. <laughs> yes, if you were to describe Stuart in three words or three things that you love about him, what oh. would you say? Okay, um, the most caring person. Yeah, caring cares for me, his friends, mm. our dog who passed away, his mum. He was so so caring and looking after his mum who we recently lost um caring nurturing he's he's he cooks every single meal yeah so i mean that's many many more words great cook <laughs> caring <laughs> caring yeah. it, it's all it's all about his caring he's a very very generous soul yeah and if he were to um describe you in three words or, or tell tell me three things that he loves about claudia what would they be oh okay four words where's bugs bunny slippers <laughs> what does that mean that means it, i think it sums up my my um my um 
lightness. I think I'm not yeah. I'm not a lightweight, but yeah. I I get joy out of um, some really simple things. It's joyous to be around you. Thank you. <laughs> Can I talk a bit about fashion? Mm. I know you're very passionate about sustainability um, and fashion. What do you think some of the challenges that the current state of fashion is facing today? What do people need to do? Um, what, what does slow fashion mean to you? Yes, well, um, we always considered that we were sustainable before the word became catchy, trendy, whatever you want to say it is, because every garment we did with Vivian Chanshaw in the hand looming was 100% handmade yep. using Australian products and, and so silly, Australian wool that had to go to Italy to be processed that we would re-import back into Australia to have dyed in Marrickville. So this crazy, ridiculous process to yeah. get it back in. But the thing that was sustainable was the garments truly did not date. They did not go out of style. I love that. They were not planned obsolescence. Yeah. They were created by hand with care to last, hand washable, no dry cleaning, and a size that would change with you. So they were never, people say, knitwear, you think, oh, tight and clingy, can't wear that. No, 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 soft knitwear. Yeah. The nature of knitwear is that it should, should be drapey and soft. So it's a garment that if you start out a size 8 and end up a size 22, mm. that you can still come to that garment. Yeah. So that, I think, is sustainability. So that was always our mantra through the whole Vivian Chanshaw knitwear career. Um, today... We are saturated with fast fashion. Yeah. And it does have a place for people who maybe can't afford to have a piece that's going to last a very, very long time. But I think vintage fashion now, mm. and even plain used clothing, because yeah. ev ev everybody uses a buzzword vintage, it needs to be 25 years or more to be vintage. So yesterday's um, Zara, if it's three years old, is not vintage. Yes. Um, <laughs> but... Even going to you know your your local Vinnies and and finding something fabulous that that's going to work for you is a good way yeah. of being less disposable. I mean, I think m most of us have some fast fashion in our wardrobes because it's quick and easy, and it might be that great basic pair of pants that's still going after ten seasons. Yeah, and that's not discounting that, but every day, everything fast, 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 throw it away. That's not good for anybody. It's not good for the next generation. It's not good for landfill because we can't break it down. And if somebody has the, the vision as a designer to recycle, repurpose, reuse, mm. then that's a good thing. Yeah. Even the um, reclaiming of memory through your clothing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so good, evoking the emotion and, and, and the memories. What's next for Claudia Chanshaw? Mm, I never know. It's, I, I love opening my emails yes. because I open and go, would you like to? Sure. Yep. Have you thought of okay? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what's next. I love that sense of um, agility, flexibility, openness about you two. Mm. Anything is possible, hey? I, I think have, so. I have one last question for you. Mm. What really makes Claudia Chanshaw purr? Oh, <laughs> let me see. And you can't say Stuart. <laughs> okay, okay, all right, all right. Um, visual stimulation. Mm. Um, I'm a very visual person. I yes. spend a lot of time hanging around art galleries and um, creating art or having artist friends. Um, 
I can be very, very inspired by something that I see more than I read. Mm. I, I read a lot. I do a lot of research as well. But if something is visually exciting to me for whatever reason, then inspiration is there. Yeah. So good. And if um, you've got a lot coming up, if we were uh, to tell the listeners how then can they go and be uh, have more of Claudia, what would that be? Your public speaking, oh, yes. the, 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 the new television show, the book, what would that be? Okay, so tune in yeah. <laughs> when we're back on air yes. uh, to Antiques Down Under because um, that's, that's a fun show. Mm. And that, that's, you know, everything from, well, I'm not going to give away next season, but um, it's from down here to very high end. So yes. it's, it's not antiques so expensive. It's, not, it's very approachable. Yes, on so, Nine Gem. On Nine Gem. So we'll probably be on from September to December, 12 yes. episodes. Um, come to my lectures. I lecture a lot at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, um, Australian Decorative and Fine Art Society. All open to the public? Um, Adfast, so you you need to be a guest of a member. Okay. So it's worth just looking at the Adfas, A-D-F-A-S, um, website to see what talks are coming up and um, get involved that way. Contact them and say, I'd like to come as a guest um, because they're all over the place. I go to, I'm going to Queensland, you know, to the next round. Um, I go all over the place, regional Australia. So that's, that's Adfas for the, for the lectures. And if I was a good girl, I would update my website which is claudiachanshaw.com, with all my lectures. But I'm a bit slack. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for today. If you need someone to update your website, I also know people. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. May may I give you a gift (gasps) for your time today? Oh, thank you. Oh, yummy. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pauline. I appreciate my gratitude is deep. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks a lot. Thank you.